have never been to my house, you probably don't know that I have a dog named Tyson. It's one of Jim Brooks' favorite dogs in the whole world. Where's Jim? Because he always growls at Jim when he comes to my house. I don't know. Do we have a picture of him? All right. That's my dog Tyson with my son Corbin when he was a little kid. And this is in St. Louis. All right. And uh, when we were in St. We, we moved from Wisconsin to St. Louis to go to seminary for three years. We didn't have a whole lot of money and we needed to fence in this really small city lot that we were living in. And so we figured out what's the cheapest way we can do this. And what we found was an electric fence, hundred bucks, put it in, good to go. So we put in this electric fence and the way an electric fence works is you bury this wire about an inch deep into the ground around the perimeter and then you hook it into this box, this power box. And then you put a, a collar on your dog and when he gets close, it will beep at him. And if it's closer, it will actually shock him. And so Tyson learned where the boundaries were to the yard and he learned not to cross those boundaries. Well, about a year and a half into having this electric fence, one of the problems which I never really foresaw, which I should have, is that animals like to eat the wire for some reason. And so this wire got eaten up in a bunch of different places, and we thought, you know what, we don't want to hassle with fixing it. But Tyson, who was free to go wherever he wanted now, he was free to go pee on any bush, he was free to go to McDonald's, pick up a Coke, he could do anything he wanted, he still didn't cross that line. <laughs> and so he, he was free. He really was free to go wherever he wanted. But practically, he was still restricted to our yard. Paul writes to the Galatians because he tells them, you are free, you are truly free in Jesus Christ. But you are still restricting yourself by the law of the Old Testament, by, by the Old Testament uh, ceremonial laws of circumcision and things like that. And he's, he's telling them that because Christ has set you free, you have to live free. You have to live free. And the way that he says that you do this, and he says this in the first verse of the text that we're going to talk about today, he says, stand firm, therefore, in freedom, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so he says, stand firm in your freedom, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Last week, we talked about what does it mean not to submit again to a yoke of slavery? And we said it's by rejecting the message of slavery that we have this sticker book God where we have to get all these stickers, cross off all these tasks. Like in first grade, you know, you, you fill up this sticker book and then your teacher gives you something. She rewards you. But God doesn't work like that because we could never fill the sticker book of God's law. And we can never earn our salvation. And so we talked about rejecting the message of slavery. And that's how we, that's how we uh, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. This week, we're going to look at how do we stand firm in our freedom? Because those are the two commands he gives. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, which we talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk about standing firm in our freedom. And so if you would open up to Galatians chapter 5, um, in the Red Bible, it's page 974. Last week, we read verses 1 through 12. This week, we're going to do 1 through 15. Uh, three extra verses, no extra charge. You ready? Let's do it. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. 
Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray. Jesus, we study this topic of freedom today, God. And for many of us, uh, Christianity is not freedom. It's, it's more like slavery, God. And we see some of the restraints you put on us because of your love and grace, and we don't see it as love. We don't see it as freedom. We don't see it as grace. We see it as bondage. Forgive us, Lord God. Teach us today how we are free in Christ. Help us to live free because Christ has set us free. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question we're asking today is, how do we stand firm in our freedom? Like he commands us in verse 1, stand firm in your freedom. And it's very simple with a lot of ramifications, okay? Very simply, how we stand firm in our freedom is by believing the message of freedom. Just as we would reject the message of slavery, of earning your, your salvation by being a good person, we would accept and believe the message of freedom. Verse 6, he puts it this way, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so Paul starts this verse by saying, you know, after chapters of saying, you shouldn't be circumcised, you shouldn't be circumcised, you shouldn't be circumcised, he says, it doesn't really matter if you're circumcised or not. Which is kind of comforting if you're a parent and you've ever had a little baby boy, right? Because you've had to make that decision. And uh, maybe you thought, oh, I'm not supposed to circumcise. It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter, is what Paul says. What matters and what is sinful and what is wrong that the Galatians are doing is not the act of circumcision, it's the faith behind it. Or, or better, the, the lack of faith behind it. You see, the, the major flaw that the Galatians had, the major flaw that religion in general has, is that they, they measure their acceptance before God by things that can be seen, by things that are visible, by things that are tangible, things that we can measure, boxes that we can check off. And so they, they measure outward actions and rituals and traditions. Like if they have 
a quiet time, if they have prayed the prayer, if they've walked the aisle, if they've been baptized, if they've taken communion, all those are good things. They accompany salvation, but none of them contribute to salvation. And that's what Paul is fighting against here. And so the Galatians believed that this sacrament of circumcision made God happy with them. But it doesn't. It's just a ritual. And it's empty when it's not done by faith. And so what does make God happy with us? And Paul says it here in verse 6. He says this. He starts it out by saying, in Christ Jesus. That's really important. It's not in Buddha, not in Muhammad, not in yourself. In Christ Jesus. What counts is, and then here's a really important word, only. Only faith working through love. And so your religious rituals, your church attendance, your, your, your tithe, your taking of the Lord's Supper, your baptism, doesn't make God happy apart from faith. Only faith matters. And contrastly, what's kind of cool here is he says, uncircumcision doesn't count either. And so a lack of religious rituals doesn't make God happy either. There's, there's some churches out there that want to be super cool. And so they're like, yeah, we don't do this whole Lord's Supper and baptism because that's so Old Testament or New Testament, whatever. You know, we're, we're not there. And God's like, that doesn't please me either. What pleases me is faith. It's something that is unseen. And that's what makes Christianity so difficult. <laughs> Because it's really easy if you say, okay, here's the checklist of things I have to do to make God happy with me. But God says, the only thing I want from you is faith. I want you to believe in Jesus Christ. There's a, um, there's a story of a chaplain that was on a ship. And the captain of the ship comes up to the chaplain and he says, how can you possibly tell people to trust in Jesus Christ? Have you ever seen Jesus? And the chaplain says, no, I've, I've never seen Jesus. And he goes, how could you possibly tell them to trust in something that they've never seen? And so the chaplain responds to the captain. He says, when it's storming outside, you tell your crewmen to pick up their anchor and head for a land that they have never seen. How can you do that? How do you know if that land's going to rescue you? You've never seen it. And the guy said, oh, well, that's easy. I just pull out my chart and I look and I see where the land is, and we head for it. And the chaplain responds, I pull out mine. And it's in their word of God, and it tells me that Jesus Christ came, and it is in him alone that I am saved, and it's by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's in faith in Jesus that we're saved. And so it is by faith that we're saved in something that is unseen. God looks at the unseen in our hearts. He looks at our faith to see. To, 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 that's what he desires from us. So here's the question for you. The natural question that comes from this is, is your hope in pleasing God, is it in something seen or unseen? Is it in all the duties and actions that you do, or is it by faith in Christ Jesus who fulfilled them perfectly? Because he says, what I desire from you is not empty rituals. I desire faith. And so we're going to explore that a little bit more. There's, there's a lot of ramifications to this. He says, stand firm in your freedom by believing the message of freedom. That is, by faith that you are saved, not by works, not by circumcision, 
not by the law of the Old Testament. And so let's look at some of those amazing ramifications of standing firm in our freedom. The first is hope. Verse 5 says it this way, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now this is really comforting because what happened in the church of Galatia is that Paul went and he actually planted the church in Galatia, or the church is, if he's talking about a region, and some false teachers had come in. And they had started telling, yeah, we know Paul told you that. It's by faith alone that you're saved. But you also need to be circumcised. You also need to do all these other things. You need to be righteous for God to save you. And Paul says, I'm not righteous, but I have a hope of a righteousness that is to come. And that's so comforting to me because I look at my daily motivations for what I do. I look at my laziness. I look at my selfishness. And I don't see righteousness many times. But Paul talks about a righteousness that is to come. A great hope of this righteousness. And here is why it is such a great hope. is because what he is saying is if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, if today by faith you trust in Christ, you will be declared righteous before a holy and righteous and awesome God. And you will get to dwell with a righteous, holy, and awesome God. But it's also an amazing statement of hope because not only will you be declared righteous in heaven, you will be righteous. You won't even be tempted to sin. You will have no desire for sin. You will have no false motives in heaven. And so he says, this is the hope of righteousness that we have. And then one commentator talks about how the Holy Spirit applies to this verse. And he says this, and it, 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 took me, it took me back when I read it. He says, Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is the first installment of greater glories to come in heaven. And so the Holy Spirit is a guarantee. It's, it's a comfort to those who trust in Christ that we don't have to doubt our salvation, but we can say, we know that we will be righteous before God because the Holy Spirit testifies within me that Christ died for my sins. And so it is a deposit of the greater glories to come. Some of you, many of you, have heard of a guy named LeBron James. Um, if you've never heard of him, you can talk to Josh Brook because he went to some washed-up team in Miami that Josh likes. And um, anyways, when LeBron was 18 years old, he signed a $90 million contract with Nike. Man, that's too young to have $90 million in it. I think maybe any age is too young to have $90 million. But he got a $10 million signing bonus. It was deposit and a guarantee of the $90 million that was to come. The Holy Spirit has been given to you as a deposit to remind you and assure you and to comfort you that you have a righteousness that is coming in heaven for all eternity. And so God gives us this deposit of the Holy Spirit that we would know of the righteousness that comes and the righteous God that we get to be with. I was meeting with a new friend recently. It was me and another guy who comes here to Jake as well, a believer, and, and this other guy, I'm not sure where he is on a spiritual journey, but he said to me, he said, you know, everybody fears death. And me and, and my friend, we kind of looked at each other and we looked at him and we said, um, we don't. <laughs> we don't really fear death that much. I mean, sometimes, but see, Christians kind of have a, a, a sick, uh, maybe twisted from the world's eyes, 
uh, hope of death because it's our biggest payout. It's our biggest payout. We have a righteousness that is coming and we get to stand and be with an awesome, loving, righteous God who's crazy about us. And so there's an excitement. Paul says, I believe it's in Philippians, he says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain, right? So there's a hope of righteousness for those who trust in Christ. And the Holy Spirit is a deposit and a reminder of that to come. And so one of the ramifications of standing firm in our freedom is that we have a great hope, a sure hope of a righteousness that's to come. Secondly, is we have persecution. Verse 11 puts it this way, but I, brother, still preach circumcision. If I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, and here's a great line, the offense of the cross has been removed. The offense of the cross has been removed. The cross of Jesus Christ might be the most offensive thing you can ever tell a person. And the reason why it's so offensive is because you have to tell people why Jesus went to the cross. And the reason Jesus went to the cross is because you are a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. Are you offended yet? That's why Christ had to go to the cross. When I was in college, I roomed with this guy named Brian. I really loved the guy. I remember sitting in our bunk beds, and I was on the top bunk. He was on the bottom bunk. And I wanted to share with him about the hope I had in Christ. And so I told him the story of what God has done. And his response to me was this. Are you bleeping telling me that my bleeping dad is going to bleep in hell, even though he's a good bleeping man, because he doesn't bleep and trust in Jesus Christ? And I'm like, Brian, but there's so great hope. There's a rescue. There's, see, see this, this offense of the cross? Doesn't come, doesn't, doesn't come alone. It also comes with a great blessing and great hope at the cross. You see, what we learn here is that while all your pursuits, through goodness, through, through rituals, through whatever it is, all your pursuits of God are worthless, God pursued you. God pursued you by sending his own son. He, he spared no cost because he loves you that much. And he sent Jesus to earth. And people might think, why did Jesus have to die such a horrible, horrible death that his beard would be plucked from his face, that, that a spear would be jammed up under his ribs, would, would burst his heart sack, would, would have the flesh torn off of him, would be beaten beyond recognition, and then hung on a cross to suffocate and die. Why would it have to be that bad? And the reason is, is because he had to make sure that he covered your sin. That's what your sin deserves. That's offensive to our pride. That's offensive to anyone trying to earn God's love. But it's such great hope because what God says is, I spare no cost for you. I would even give my son for you. That's how much I love you. So the cross is offensive, but it also has great hope. And so, <coughs> excuse me, here's, here's the challenge. If you want others to love you, if you want others to love you, preach circumcision. That's what Paul says. If you want others to love you, preach circumcision. Tell people you're good enough, man. I'm sure God's really happy with you because you're doing all these good things. Not that we don't do things that are good, but 
we, we, we say, yeah, God, God's good with you. You're going to be good when you die because you're a good person. Preach circumcision and everybody will love you. But if you want to love them, preach the cross. And there's a pretty good chance they'll be offended if you tell them the truth. But don't let them be offended by your judgmentalism, by your personality, by your anger, by your hostility. Let them be offended by the cross. Let them know how much you love them. Tell them of what Christ has done. And so you see, when we are free to fully trust in Jesus for our salvation and say it's no work of my own, we get persecution because we offend people with the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we see that one of the ramifications of standing firm in our freedom is this hope of righteousness, persecution from preaching the offense of the cross, and finally is love. Uh, verse 6. We're going to look at verse 6, and then we'll jump down to 13 through 15. Verse 6 first, it says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so when by faith we trust in Jesus Christ, it doesn't only have an eternal consequence, it changes and transforms our hearts now on earth. And we have this strange and growing love for both God and for other people. Because we understand by faith how much God loves us, what he did for us, the price that he paid to save us. And so we start loving in a way that's out of this world as we grow in faith. I remember being in college in Columbia, Missouri. I went to the University of Missouri, which I just found out Mike LeMay's wife went to, so I like her. Um, but I remember driving around in this convertible, and, uh, and he, was, he was an older guy who was graduating and he was engaged to this girl named Lindsay. And he said to me, he goes, you know, Dan, it's really interesting. He said, on the mornings that I get up and I get into God's word and I, I, I read about his love and grace towards me, I'm so much kinder to Lindsay. I'm so much more patient and more loving towards her. But on the mornings where I just shove it aside and whatever, I, I'm so temperamental. I'm so moody. And what he's, what he's saying is what's being said here is that when we understand the love of Jesus Christ for us by faith, it manifests itself in love for others. And so the best way that you can love your husband, that you can love your wife, that you can love your neighbor, that you can love your roommate, that you can love your coworkers, the best way that you can love your friends, the best way that I can love you is by pursuing Jesus, by growing in Christ, by making making use of the things that he gives to us that we would better know his love for us, being the word of God, joining together for worship, the, the sacraments, all those things that God gives to us, prayer, that we might know more and more the mystery of his love in Christ Jesus. And it's when we grow there that we can love others in the same way. And so he says it manifests itself in love. He goes on to talk more about this love, and I'm going to cover this briefly now, but more in depth in two weeks. He says, for you were, sorry, excuse me, I'm in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And so we've been talking this whole time that God has freed us from the law, right? He's freed us from the curse of the law. You see, anyone who tries to 
earn God's love by fulfilling any part of the law. Paul says you're obligated to obey the whole thing and you will fail and you will bring the curse of God upon yourself, which is the judgment of hell forever. And so we've been freed from the curse of the law because Christ perfectly fulfilled the law for us. But it doesn't mean we just go do whatever we want. God didn't free us to go sin like crazy. And so here's the balance. Here's the other side of the pendulum. Here's something I would love for you to memorize. And I'll say it again in two weeks when we preach on the next passage. But Christ hasn't freed you to do what you want. Christ has freed you to do what you ought. Christ hasn't freed you to do whatever you want. Christ has freed you to do what you ought. In a way, you don't have free will until you're saved. (laughs) Think about that. You may not agree, but you don't. It's when you know Christ that you're finally free to love. You're finally free to be persecuted, to preach the offense of the cross. You're finally free to follow and obey, not for yourselves, not to earn salvation, but for God. There's... um, there's a story that we read in, uh, in our, we're going through the book Prodigal God, and there's a story of a farmer in there, and the farmer grew carrots. I think I'm getting this correct. He grew carrots, and he grew this one carrot that was just massive, and he said, it's the biggest carrot I've ever grown, and it's probably the biggest carrot I ever will grow. And so he takes the carrot to the king, and he says, king, I am so thankful for you, and I appreciate you, and I love you. You're so, such a good king. Here's the biggest carrot I've ever grown. Probably the biggest carrot I ever will grow. I'm going to give this. I want to give this carrot to you. And the king took it and was so thankful. And he saw the man's heart. And as the man walked away, not expecting anything in return, the king said, wait, wait, where do you live? Man tells him, he says, right next to you, I own a property. It's yours. Take it. Farm it. Live off of it, it's yours. And the man went away even more elated at the love and mercy and grace of this king and his greatness and his glory. While he was doing this, a man overheard everything that happened. He thought to himself, if that's what the king will do for a carrot, what will he do for something even greater? And so that man goes and he brings him a horse and he says, this is a horse that I have raised since it was just a little horse, whatever that's called. What's it called? A colt? All right. I've raised it since it was a colt. And this is my best horse that I have, king, and I'm going to give this to you. But the king could discern the man's heart. And so the king took the horse and said nothing. And as the man walked away sad, thinking, I thought I was going to get something out of this, the king stopped him and he said, the farmer gave me the carrot because he loved me. You gave me the horse because you love yourself. You see, the uh, worldly love is selfish. You love others. You do things to get, whether it be validation, whether it be money, whether it be fame, whatever it is. And sometimes you even do it because you you love that person. Christian love, you don't even do it because necessarily you love that person. You do it because you love the king. The king is worthy. The king is holy. The king is glorious. And so when we go and serve and love others, we don't do it primarily for them. We do because we love them, but primarily for the king who is so amazingly good and rich towards us.
And that's what God frees you to do. Love like that. And so, (coughs) excuse me, because Christ has set us free, we must live free. That's the point of this passage. Some of you may have uh, seen the movie Shawshank Redemption. It is a, a great movie. And it's a story about this guy named Andy who gets wrongfully accused, thrown in prison. And um, while he's there, he meets some friends. And over the course of time, these men who have been there for decades start to be released and go free. And the first one is an older gentleman. I can't think of his name, but he gets out. He moves into this apartment, and he starts working at this grocery store. And he can't handle the freedom. The freedom kills him, literally. Uh, he ends up taking his own life because he doesn't, he doesn't know what to do with freedom. So Morgan Freeman uh, gets out of jail. That's not his name in the movie, but he gets out of jail. And he moves into the same apartment that the guy moved into. He works the same job at the grocery store. And Morgan Freeman says some of the same things this other man says. He's like, I don't know what to do as a free man. I just, I, I can't handle it. And he starts walking down this path where you think he's going to take his own life. And he says, but I told my friend Andy that I would go visit him or find this box. And so he goes and finds this box, and he gets his bus ticket to Mexico. And he goes to Mexico, and he's walking along this beach, and he sees Andy, who not only is free, in reality, he's living free. All those other prisoners, they couldn't live free. They, they couldn't get used to the freedom. And he could. You are set free in Jesus Christ. Do you live free? Do you live free? Do you chase God, the one that you were created for with all your heart? Do you trust him by faith? Do you know that it's by nothing that you do that you're saved? It's by faith alone. God has called you to freedom. I just want to end by reading Galatians 5.1 to you one more time because I think it is just such an awesome verse. 5.1 says this, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have gone to the cross and you have restricted yourself and bound yourself at the cross And you have known the ultimate slavery as men judged you and killed you, that we might be free, Lord. Pray that we would know this freedom, that we would enjoy this freedom, that we would explore this freedom, because it is for freedom that you have set us free, God. Make this mystery more known to us throughout this week, God, that we might know that we are free to run, to live for you. It is a glorious freedom, and we praise you so much for it. In Jesus' name, amen.